1: Let's spend a little time today focusing some attention on the sorts of hurts that we might carry when we lose a child. A little later this year, there's a number of conferences and retreats that are being staged here in Australia with a special guest who's coming from the United States, who's gone through some real grief, having lost two children to a rare disorder called Zellweger's Syndrome. Nancy Guthrie, who's the author of somewhere in the vicinity of 15 books, has been to Australia once before, but she's coming back to be a part of a number of retreats here in Australia and some of the things that she'll talk about and some of the Bible teaching that she'll bring will bring real light to real life where people have suffered grief and hurt over the issues that their families have faced. Nancy Guthrie from Nashville in the United States is joining us on the phone. Hello, Nancy. Welcome along to 2020.
2: Oh, hello, Neil. I'm so glad to talk with you and so looking forward to being back in Australia later this year.
1: Well, Nancy, I guess when you travel, and I suspect you travel a lot and people are inviting you to speak, uh, you're quite renowned as an author the sorts of topics that you write about are really where the rubber hits the road. And so when you come to Australia and you've been here before and you've spoken on these issues and you got the invitation back, so something must have went really well for you.
2: And uh, and so the
1: <laughs> well, invitation the was there. Australian
2: people were so kind to me <laughs> and I am really grateful that they have invited me back.
1: Well, you're going to be sharing with audiences on some very, very deep topics, the sorts of pain that we might experience when losing a child. I wonder whether you can recount your experience so we've got a little context for what we're talking about if we discuss the idea of being healed from that pain.
2: Yeah, certainly. Uh, my husband, David, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, in the States. Um we had a son uh named Matt, who was eight years old at the time I gave birth to a daughter we named hope and when she was born neil it was it was pretty obvious right off that not everything was right um, She was very lethargic she didn't move much didn't hold a temperature didn't cry much, and our pediatrician said you know i 'm going to have a geneticist come and take a look at her um and that on her second day of life, a geneticist examined her and told us that he suspected she had this rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome. And we had never heard of that before. And most people we knew hadn't. Um, it's, what it meant was that our daughter, Hope, was missing a tiny subcellular particle that you and I have in every cell of our bodies called peroxisomes. And these peroxisomes rid our cells of long chain fatty acids. And so the doctor explained that night that basically uh, these peroxisomes act like uh, the cells trash man and that there was nobody to take out the trash. And that because of that, these toxins would build up in all of our cells and all of our systems. And that in fact, a lot of damage had already been done to all of her major organs, especially her liver and her kidneys and her brain. And he told us that night that uh, most children with the syndrome live less than six months. And it was just devastating. I mean, we went to the hospital expecting to bring home a healthy baby. I, I was so looking forward to raising a daughter Uh, who would grow old with me and be my friend. And so, you know, right there on her second day of life, we learned that, in fact, she would not grow old with us and began, in a sense, letting go of all of our dreams for her.
1: And, and 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 Nancy, it went from bad to worse in one sense, having lost your beautiful daughter, Hope. Yeah. You fell pregnant again just a couple of years later.
2: Yeah, to, to have a child with this syndrome means both parents must be carriers of with this recessive gene trait. And so we took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy, and evidently it didn't work. And we're then um, shocked and surprised to discover not only that I was pregnant, but yeah, that this child also had the fatal syndrome. Our, our daughter, Hope, had been with us uh, six months, 199 days. And so this was very different this time, because with Hope, we we hadn't known throughout the pregnancy that anything was wrong. And of course, it was very different to go through it a second time, a second pregnancy, uh, knowing that that child would have a short life, that once again, we were going to welcome and enjoy a child, but then be forced to let go of him. So our son, Gabe, was born, and um we loved him, and we enjoyed him um and then once again we had to let go of them and um you know i, I think i thought neil that uh in terms of grief I, I, you know with hope i thought okay well i've got this 6 months to enjoy her and but also to kind of get a head start on my grief and so maybe grief is not going to be that hard for me um and it just didn't work out that way at all i Uh grief for me, the only way I know how to describe it, for me, was like having this huge boulder on my chest, like it was always pressing the life out of me, um, that I could hardly take a breath. And so whereas right after Hope died, there was a sense in which I felt strengthened and made wise and enriched by her life, um, that feeling went away very quickly. And, and left me with a great, deep, pervasive uh, sense of sadness. And Nancy, the same was true.
1: For Thank those you. of us who've never lost a child, it's difficult for us to fathom just how uh, the extent or the depth of that emotional grief can be. But you put your thoughts and your reflections on paper, and they're produced in the book called Holding On to Hope A Pathway. Of suffering to the heart of God how important was it for you to be able to write about the things that you were going through the grief that was emerging in your life
2: well I suppose what was significant uh, Neil was that during Hope's life and after her death I studied the book of Job because I I wanted to figure out you know here's this man in the Bible he has lost so much and he questions God so boldly, and then he emerges from that loss with a life that's described at the end of the book of Job as good. And honestly, Neil, I thought at that point that my life would never be good again. I just couldn't imagine that it would be. And so I went through the book of Job trying to figure out how does it happen? How does someone experience loss, question God, and emerge with, from, a, with that, from that with a life described as good? And so... um in the middle of that second pregnancy with Gabe, I, I think there was a sense in which I wrote it down, because it was a way of solidifying those things that I had learned in my previous experience with Hope to prepare me to go through it a second time. Uh, writing it down was a sense of preaching these truths to myself, truths such as God is for me, He is not against me, He is in control of this. This has not happened outside of His control. He really does cause all things to, to work together in my life for good and for the and the very specific good, that I would be conformed to the image of his son. So I think the writing of that book was the sense of, was in a sense, the preaching to myself to uh, take hold of those truths, to prepare to for me to walk through it a second time. But, you know, Neil, that book came out 13 years ago and It's been published in nine languages around the world. I get letters from people all around the world, including over these many years, many from Australia, which has been a credible joy to me. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Long before I went to Australia, there was a sense in which a part of me went there through the pages of a book, and um, that people who were going through this devastating loss of many kinds could read that book and, in a sense, feel some companionship with me because they too have hurt deeply and are trying to make some sense of it. And so I'm really grateful for the way that God has used that book over these many years.
1: Well, I know that there will be some parents who've suffered the grief and loss that you're describing who might be... Interested to make it to some of the gatherings that you'll be addressing when you're here in Australia later this year. Now, a little bit of time to plan here because you'll be arriving in Australia in August. And from August 19th, there is a retreat for couples who've experienced some of these similar feelings of grief and loss with the loss of a child that's at a place called Kalnura, north of Sydney. You're also going to be speaking at the One Love Conference in Sydney on August 27th and then up into Queensland on the 3rd of September uh, to address the Grow Women's Conference. Nancy stay with us we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments we're talking with Nancy Guthrie and her book, Holding On to Hope, A Pathway of Suffering to the Heart of God. Back with more in just a few moments. We're back talking with author and speaker Nancy Guthrie, who's on her way to Australia in August this year. A little bit of time to plan to be part of some of the meetings and gatherings that she's going to be speaking at. A well-known author, an author of 15 books, and the one we're talking about today deals with how to face grief and loss, thoughts that she wrote down in her book called Holding On to Hope, a pathway of suffering to the heart of God. Nancy, not everyone listening to our conversation will have been through the grief of having lost a child, and I'm sure people's heartstrings are being tugged at hearing your story of having lost two children to that rare disorder called the Zellweger syndrome. But so many of us will know someone who has lost a child and somehow or other there's this feeling of unknowing. What do I say? And sometimes mm-hmm. we fall guilty of avoiding conversations like that because we're, we're just so naive and don't understand. Yeah. How do you approach the idea of, of speaking to those who've gone through this level of grief?
2: It is awkward, isn't it? I, you know, I've, I've, I have found myself... Um, avoiding people who are going through something hard because I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing. Uh, we don't want to be that person that they walk away and say, I can't believe she said that to me. And so a lot of times we take the easier route um, of, of saying nothing at all. Um, but, you know, here's what I would say to to someone who asks me, you know, what should I say to someone? And this really goes beyond people who have lost a child to To anyone who has lost someone that they love. Here's a a couple of things you should know and that is um, it doesn't matter so much what you say than that you say something. Um, When you've gone through grief it's kind of like there is a like there's a hurdle between you and every person that is up until the loss is acknowledged and When that happens, then the hurdle comes down and you can talk freely. Um, But until it's at least acknowledged, um, that, that stays up there. And sometimes the very best thing to say, Neil, is simply, I don't know what to say. I mean, that sounds kind of awkward, but it's very humble. It basically expresses to the other person that I... I don't presume to be able to fix the loss you've experienced with some words. I don't presume to have a verse that's going to make it better or an expert uh, to send you to a book you should read, a fix for this. But instead, I just recognize um, that I know it hurts deeply and I want to acknowledge it to you. So, So to say something simple like, I really don't know what to say, but I'm so very sad with you is an excellent thing to say. Another thing to do is to keep saying the name of the person who died. So often people who've experienced a loss find that the people not only want to bring it up, but they just stop hearing that person's name. And it just means so much when someone you have love, someone you love has died, To for someone to say their name. it's it, It's like a balm to your soul. And... It means so much to know that you're not the only person who's thinking of the person who died. You're not the only person who misses them. Now, I think one reason we don't do that is we see someone who's lost someone, and it seems like they're having a good day. And so we think, well, I don't want to bring them up, bring it up. And I don't want to make that person feel sad. Now, what we don't understand is that person already feels sad, and they're dying for someone to bring up the person they love who is not there anymore. And yes, when we mention that person's name, when we say, oh, I miss that person or I thought about that person the other day, maybe they begin to weep a little bit and we think, oh, no, now I've really blown it because I've made that person cry. But that's not it at all. What you've actually done is give that person some relief to release some of those tears that are already inside, and the release of getting to talk about that person that they love and miss. It, it is a great gift to invite that person to talk about the person they love who has died.
1: So we humble ourselves. We don't yes. pretend that we know all the answers. No. Do we get real wisdom from the book of Job, knowing that Job's friends? lectured job and <laughs> tried to tell him uh, all of those good or bad things depending on how you look at the sorts of things that they were sharing but it didn't yeah. endear them to job and didn't make job feel better that his friends were lecturing him there is yeah. a certain sense and uh, you know I don't want to get to lose the the flow of uh, this conversation but uh, when we tie the bible into this there's reality yeah. and authenticity in those stories we read in the bible
2: Definitely. I love the way the message reads in Job 16. It, it, it quotes Job saying, what a bunch of miserable comforters. <laughs> and so they've clearly dropped the ball. But you know what's so interesting when we read through Job and we read what his comforters say, a lot of times what, they've say, what they're saying is actually true, but they're misapplying it, or they're saying it in an untimely way saying it almost as an accusation. And so I think the helpful point in that is to remember that sometimes as comforters we don't it's not so much that what we say isn't true but it's not that word fitly spoken. Sometimes it's not the right time to say it. Um so as comforters, you know, we 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 can't only say something perhaps that is unhelpful, and say, well, but it was true. Um, Sometimes we just need to really stay silent. And the main thing is we need to be better listeners than talkers. You know, we tend to want to offer lots of advice, oftentimes isn't helpful. We tend to want to tell stories about other people that we know something similar happened to, um, as if it's going to be helpful, but it's not uh, we tend to want to talk about our own experience. Well, when I lost someone, I felt this way. And just a lot of times those things, it's not that they're bad things, but they just aren't helpful. And that sometimes the most helpful thing can be a a gentle question, an inviting question, and not the question, how are you? Because honestly, that question for grieving people, it makes them feel like they have to give a report mm-hmm. On how they're doing on this task that they didn't ask for, called going through grief. But maybe a more creative question, a more uh, knowing question, might be something like, um, "What is your grief like these days?" You know, a question like that, Neil. It it acknowledges. I expect that you would be grieving, rather than I'm hoping you'll tell me you're not grieving anymore, which is how are you kind of sounds like. But it acknowledges, yeah, you might be grieving. But invites that person to just share more um, about what their grief is like and to be have a good, honest, open conversation about it.
1: I guess the way you ask those questions too can show forth either an optimism that somehow or other you are on a grief recovery process. Uh, or you could uh, be reinforcing that you're remaining in the grief. I mean, there isn't really any way, is there, to accelerate a recovery uh, except to say that the hope that we have in Christ might make a difference. How do you reflect on the sort of hope that comes from uh, the person who is a believer and who recognizes that God is the one who holds all life in his hands and, and that he's the one who tenderly cares for us in our emotional state?
2: You know, a lot of people will say something like, uh, well, time heals all wounds. (laughs) You know, you probably know plenty of people, Neil, as I do, that time hasn't healed wounds. It's made somebody bitter. (laughs) They've just become bitter over time or dug more into a depth of despair. So we know time isn't the only ingredient. It is an important ingredient because grief, like a physical energy, or, or, um, excuse me, grief like a physical injury requires some time for healing, but that's not all it needs. What it needs is time, but it also needs the truth because when we're in the midst of grief, we have so many thoughts going through our head, um, thoughts fueled by emotions, and our thoughts and our feelings lie to us um and so we have to talk back to our own emotions with the truth of scripture and what do i mean by that you know some maybe our thoughts say to us i will never be happy again and so we search the scriptures and what do, what do the scriptures say you know the scriptures the, the fruit of the, the fruit of the spirit is love joy and peace so we confront that feeling of, I'll never be happy with, again, with, no, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and He is not done working on me or in me. And as the Holy Spirit does His work in me, He is going to produce the fruit of joy in my life. And just over and over again, as we have these thoughts like that, we speak back to them with the truth, and we go to what we know is the most solid, dependable truth in the universe, and that is the truth of God's Word and the truth of who He is and the truth of what He's doing in the world, which is He is at work even now making all things new. You know, this is this is something the psalmist knew how to do. If you think about Psalm 42 and 43, I love that. Here's David, and he, in a sense, is having a conversation with his own soul in the midst of the depths of despair and grief. He says, basically to himself, he says, I say to my own soul, hope in God. And when I read that in Psalm 42 and 43, I, I just picture David almost like he's looking at himself in the mirror, and he's got these voices inside of himself speaking despair and dread, and he looks at himself in the mirror. He says, hope in God, yet I will praise him again. And I think that's something that we as grieving people need to learn how to do. We have to speak the truth about who God is and what he has said and what he's doing in the world to our own desperate thoughts and feelings.
1: Well, Nancy, no doubt so many people will look forward to your arrival in Australia to address these gatherings. We mentioned one of those is a weekend retreat that's going to happen for couples who are experiencing grief as you and your husband did when you lost your daughter and your son. That gathering is on August the 19th through the 21st at Kalnura, which is north of Sydney. Then you're speaking at the One Love Conference in Sydney, August 27th, and then heading north to Queensland to speak at the Sleeman Centre at Chandler at the Grow Women's Conference. I'll point people to your website, where you'll have some dates that people can access there, it's nancyguthrie.com. It's also a site where you can find out about other books that Nancy has written and the one we've talked a little about today, which is Holding On to Hope, a pathway of suffering to the heart of God. Nancy Guthrie, look forward to meeting you in person sometime and uh, perhaps another opportunity to chat on the telephone uh, from Nashville in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us today on Twenty Twenty.
2: Thank you so much, Neil. I look forward to seeing you and all your listeners in Australia.
0: Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.